Good day and welcome to your favorite place, the trendy place. This is the Trend Podcast with Justin A. Williams and I, along with my co-host, the Tex Ritter, am here to bring you awesome content from all across the spectrum that is meant to inform, excite, and most of all, keep you trendy. Whether it's history or music, current events, or even, yes, martial arts, the trend is here to empower you through the conversation on diverse topics. If you like a podcast where the unexpected should be expected, then the trend is the podcast for you. We have a great show for you today. Thank you for joining us. We are better when we trend together. Just as a disclaimer, we are a part of a larger media company, the New York Trend Online Media Company. It's been around since the late 80s. Really thankful to be a part of them and an extension of that brand. But as a disclaimer, the views expressed today do not reflect the views of New York Trend Media. Guests are free to speak their minds unfiltered and uncensored. We are here to only facilitate dialogue, no more, no less. All right. So we have a great show for you today, our very first show, right after the very first of the year. Very exciting. And what we have today is my co-host with me, Tex Ritter. Say what's up, Tex. How you doing, everybody? Good to be (laughs) here, Justin. Yep, yep. And what we're going to do is going to do a kind of a little bit of review of last year. I know we want to move on. Everybody had their issue with last year, but also talk about projections for the next year, this year, 2021, what's coming up, what we see on the horizon. And we're going to talk about politics, culture, a whole swath of things. But to introduce Tex, he's a visionary creative. He has worked on numerous TV shows and streaming shows from The Hunt with Al Pacino. Great show. Surprising ending. To Gotham, which ran for several reasons on Fox. That's the Batman show. And he has been featured on Tracy Oliver's readaption of First Wives Club, his music, that is. And him, he's in the scene. He is an artist, director, producer, and my favorite person to write with, as we have some very exciting projects coming down the pipeline. But we'll get to that in later episodes. He's a great addition to the show, and like me, is more excited about what he doesn't know than what he does. So, just a little outline of what the show is about. If you haven't checked out the trailer, check out the trailer on the page. Remember, this podcast will be available where all podcasts are found, including Spotify, iTunes, and we are also going to be posting on YouTube if you like to sit back and that's your app of choice and watch a video. Eventually, we will have video capability where you will be able to watch us actually talk for those of you who like a little Joe Rogan in their podcast. Okay, but what we're talking about today is going to go over, like I said, last year and this year. Text, where do you want to start? Sorry, not text. Actually, it is text, yeah. <laughs> I know, t- I know. What are you, t- what are you talking about? <laughs> I, know to, I know his real name, so yes, I it's... slip back and forth. We know each other very well. So where should we begin? I don't know, man. So much happened in 2020. I'm a, I'm a hip-hop connoisseur, and... The most tragic thing happened that we actually found out happened. MF Doom passed away. Yes. Like, Can you give the audience a little actually, bit of a introduction to who he might be in case people don't know who he was? So MF Doom is our artist, a hip hop artist that kept like the, how do you say it? I mean, he kept like that underground sound alive, you know, this past when, when Hip hop really got washed down and it was about how you dressed and what you drank and how cool you talked. He 
kept it at that raw flavor. And uh, he's from Long Island, where me and Justin are from. So that's a that's an even bigger thing. Strong Island. <laughs> there you go. And I mean, he had mixtapes like Operation Doomsday, mm, Food, which is one of my favorite. He's worked with Mad Lib, who's another like amazing producer. But MF Doom, he he wore a mask. He didn't know his actual what he looked like, and he just kept it about the music. And I mean, you can go on and on about him, but you know. A long live doom. He actually died October 31st, 2020. And it, we didn't find out until like two months later, which is like the most wow. MF doom thing. Right. You know, right. like he just stayed in his character, like even right. past death. So I thought that was great. And unfortunately, he joins a list of other rappers who passed away last year, talking about Pop Smoke and then King Von. Yeah, King Von. Nipsey Hussle, was that last year too? Or was I, that I think Nipsey was 2019? 2019. Okay. But within basically within a year's time of each other. Right, right. And I mean, and, like 2020 was just tragic, right? We lost Kobe Bryant. Yeah. We lost Kobe and him. Like we lost the Black Mamba, man. We lost the Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. Congressman Lewis. Congressman Lewis. You know, we lost Tiny Lister, who was Debo from Friday. Tiny, yeah. You Who know? doesn't love Tiny? Exactly. So it, it it was it was definitely, and this is not even to shy, uh, shy away from the personal people that we've lost in our lives through two thousand and twenty. Of course, this whole coronavirus thing, which I think is a great topic, you know, for us to roll into a little later. But yes, it, it's just one of those years that we haven't seen in human society in about a hundred years since the Spanish flu, Basically. and. We will get to that, definitely. But just to keep it on MF Doom for a little bit, you know, what I find interesting about what you said is he kept the underground scene alive. And for me, when I was, I guess, in the scene when I was younger, in high school, listening to a lot of hip-hop all the time, I loved underground hip-hop because the content was more lyrical. It was more like how hip-hop was back in the golden age let's say late 80s, early 90s, there was a diversity of content that they were talking about. It wasn't always about shoot 'em up or gang violence or materialism saturated with sexism. It, it was just, uh, I mean, you had rappers that could talk about all that stuff too, but it was more critical and analytical. And it was, it was I, I felt it was more vulnerable. And I think it led to some of the rap that you do see today with Drake or Kendrick Lamar. And I think it's interesting how Drake and Kendrick Lamar in the past year rose to be with Kendrick Lamar on the album, his latest album, and then Drake continuing his run since around 2009. Mm -hmm. If you remember what hip hop was like in 2004, right? When 50 Cent, Kanye. uh, It was all about how much of a thug are you, how gangster are you? Keeping it real. Every rapper had to be someone who was somehow gang affiliated at some point of their life. And the pressure that put on a rapper to always have to prove themselves, right? It's like they had to go to the club and they had to stay strapped. They had to have a gun. They had to, in their videos, the same stereotypical things over and over again. And rappers like MF Doom, for people who don't know, were a totally different wavelength. They were like most deaf. So, yeah, we, 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 we lost a great rapper and a great person in culture. And my hope for the new year is that the 
culture within all genres of music and human expression is able to aim itself a little bit towards what we really need, which is healing after last year? Well, you know, I don't think it's the actual art itself, right? Because even in 2004, like you said, you know, we, I think everything has its place. And I think what happens is, is once you get the propaganda and the media involved, they're only going to push what sells or what they want to sell. So I think that's more the, the issue here of, of what we're trying to um, fix, you know, is not letting the status quo, the, the operating system control who we are, what we listen to, wh- what we want to do, what we wear, you know, things like that, what um, programs us. So I don't, I don't think it's the art necessarily. I just think it's, are you going to dig to find, do we have to dig to find it or are you going to give it to us? You know, it's kind of like that um, fast food, healthy food equation. You can go to any corner and find a McDonald's or a Burger King or a Taco Bell. You know, and even if you go in those stores, the burger's going to be a dollar and the salad's going to be $7.99. You know, right. so I, I just think, it, I just think it's, it's one of those scenarios of like, what's going on, who's controlling us and... You know what are they? What are they pushing? What are they actually pushing for? You know, right? I think this past year, what we've what we've seen is that uh, healthy and unhealthy skepticism of institutions like the government, right? So you have a situation where many people, like yourself, are feeling as though we can't trust even what we're eating. We can't even trust what we're getting here. There's people who don't even trust the vaccine, right? And my hopeful projection for next year is that people are not forced to take the vaccine, but I hope a lot of people do take the vaccine, even if that sounds a little hypocritical for myself, because I know that if it is effective and the couple of vaccine types that they have, if it is effective, then we can maybe get back to normal, right? I mean, I think Dr. Fauci said that if we get to 70% of the population taking the vaccine, that people with an immunity, then we're in the clear. But how can we do that when people don't trust institutions, right? I mean, as soon as, as soon as when Kobe's death happened, as soon as that happened, people were not only questioning how people in the media and, and people in TV were responding to his death, but they were also critical sometimes of the Lakers themselves, mm-hmm. right? And then we start thinking about when we do have a large amount of people in our society, unfortunately, passing away, is it really bringing us together or is it in some ways making us double down on some of the worst parts of, of how we act? You know, uh, listen, the vaccine thing, bro, is like, I, here's my questions. Like, first of all, I'm not, let me just put that out there. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about how these viruses work. So my, my knowledge on that is, is, is ignorant. But my opinion, though, is, well, my question, I should say, is how, do, how did they come up with this vaccine so fast? Like, we, we have cancer, we have AIDS, uh, we have the, the flu, even the common flu, right? People go get their flu shot every year and they still get the flu. People still get the flu and the flu still comes back every year. So if they was not able to develop 
vaccines for, for those things that's been killing people for years. Now there's a vaccine for COVID, you know? And yeah, that, that, that's a fair question, yeah. You know, so like that's, that's really like, you'd be skeptical about it, but hey, look, the vaccine comes out. And like you said, we hope that they don't force people to start taking it. But if you want to have a controlled environment, which they do, you've got, you're going to have to force people to take it, right? I think what's going to happen is they're going to give you the option. Okay, you can even have, you can either have quality life or you can have a controlled right. life. Right. If you don't take the vaccine, your ass stays inside. You don't get to go to concerts. You don't get to go out to eat. Your college. Your college. You don't get health insurance. And then three years down the line, four years down the line, they're going to say, oh, you still didn't get the vaccine? All right, time to go to this concentration camp. <laughs> because we need to well, make We hope it doesn't get enough. <laughs> we need to make, we need to right. make people who got the vaccine. Right. And just as a disclaimer, both Terrell and I are African-American, so we both are aware of the longstanding and unfortunate history within the United States and beyond of tests against the will of African-American males and females. It was common during slavery for doctors. The first doctor who was practicing gynecology operated on female African-Americans who were enslaved. And then the Tuskegee Institutes, the Tuskegee Institutes experiments, I'm sorry, were done on African-Americans to give them syphilis and other venereal diseases that were obscene against their will, no compensation. And so there has been a long history, particularly in the black community, of a distrust of institutions. But I think what separates this growing distrust of institutions within 2020 is it's become so memeable. Everything has become so memeable and jiffable, right? If you don't know what a jiff is, completely jiff is one of those, those motion memes you get. I know right. you know what it what it is, Tax, but in case you're in our audience, might skew a little older, uh, like my grandfather, doesn't know what a jiff is. It's one of those videos that I'm sure your teenage granddaughter is sending out. Uh, a meme, obviously, is it's a picture with some kind of message on it. Usually they're jokes, and it's funny, right? You get a you get from your friend who's a conspiracy theorist sends you some uh, Illuminati uh, conspiracy meme that's that's funny. It's got a cat in it, or uh, I saw one with a frog taking a shower today, and it, it's funny. But at the same time, it's further pushing us away from that age of innocence that so many people refer to, particularly on one side of the aisle rather than the other side of the aisle. Yeah, I don't don't think anybody in, I don't want to say anybody, but I don't think our our generation and younger uh, take anything serious. I mean, everything is is a joke, you know what I'm saying? Or everything is, we can brush brush it off our shoulders. I don't, I don't, I I believe until shit really hits the fan, you know, we won't know how to react. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to just pass everything by with a joke because I guess it keeps us sane. It keeps us not have to deal with the actual problem or look for a real solution. Kind of just go about our regular routine, you know? True. And some people, so have you ever watched Bill Maher? Um, No. So 
So what's kind of been a big movement in the past year and will probably continue into this year in comedy is the notion that people are being politically correct. And President Trump, he kind of won on this uh, four years ago when he was running. And you hear it a lot. I'll just be honest. I'm a consumer of all media. I watch MSNBC. I watch CNN. I even watch Fox News. I have a master's in political science. I'm interested. So when I'm interested, I want to know what everyone's saying. And what you hear a lot is this argument between liberals who will say, no, we need to be politically correct. And what political correctness is, in my opinion, is that people tell you how they want to be defined and you respect that, right? So it's the reason why you don't call me a Negro if I don't want to be called a Negro. You call me African-American if I ask you to or black, right? It's the reason why if instead of just saying someone is gay, they may say, no, I prefer to be called queer, right? And usually it deals with people who have been labeled alternative. So gays, minorities, uh, atheists, things like that. But in the comedy sphere, right? In comedy, it's like everything's bending the line. Mm -hmm. You're going to say something offensive because that's how you get people to laugh. At least that's the cheapest way to get people to laugh. The easiest way is to say something to offend the audience, right? Because then you get a buzzworthy response. Right. And a lot of comedians like Bill Maher, who is a white comedian, very famous on HBO, has a show real time. Okay. I know you're talking about now. I was thinking of Bill Maher, but okay, I'm following. Okay. Yeah. He happens to be a liberal politically, but he says he hates political correctness. So a controversy that happened, I think, a year or two ago with him was he said the N-word oh, I remember this. on TV. Yes. And he was referring to the notion of a house N-word. And in doing so, he offended a lot of people. And he knew he was going to do that because you could tell, you could see in his face just before he said it, like, ah, I got something good. And then as he said it, it's like, you know, the world exploded in his mind. And he was like, this is going to be the most important thing I do for a month. Yeah. And he says it and people defended him on the right. People who are conservatives, people he usually goes against, defended him. And what I'm wondering from you is, what do you, do you, what do you, what do you think that really, that really does for us where – where do you stand? Can people just say whatever they want? And when they get criticized, it's okay for them to say, don't criticize me? Or are they being hypocritical in a way? I, I don't know, man. I, 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 think, I think that we harp too much on our feelings. We get caught too much in, oh, you hurt my feelings. You made me feel this way. You're a bad person. And I'm hurt. And since I'm hurt, that makes you a bad person. No, you just got your feelings hurt. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Stokely Carmichael said something. He said, a white man might have the, the power to like dislike me. It doesn't make me weak, but I can't give him the power to actually like hurt me. I'm, I'm totally not saying it correctly, but that's right. along the words. That's along the lines. Is that like you don't give somebody your power because of what they said. Right now, if they're coming to actually physically harm you, then that's when you actually have to obstruct that and stop that, and that define mm -hmm. and that it tells your true power over yourself. Mm -hmm. 
I, yeah, I think we just try to get too much, too lost in, because we don't control ourselves, right? And right. I think that is the, the biggest thing with people is that they know they can't even control their own lives. So some way, somehow, they have to try to control everybody else around them. So right. whatever that means, whatever that does, don't say this, don't do that. No, don't call me this. I want this, I want that. All because you won't take control of your own life. Right. That's interesting. You know, it reminds me of kind of Tex and I into philosophy. So we talk about sometimes Stoic philosophy and Stoicism comes from ancient Rome. And basically the perspective there is that nothing can harm you unless you let it. So if you hear a comedian say something offensive or something happens on Twitter, you can always shut Twitter off. You can log out and right. it's gone. Same thing with the radio, right? People complain about the songs on the radio. We got motherfucking Apple, Spotify, Tidal. You got a whole bunch of things you can choose from to go select your music. Go use your power. Here's the actual quote. I found the quote. If a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he's got the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism mm. is not a question of attitude. It's a question of power. Mm. That's it. Interesting. I did hear someone say that very similar. It was Tessa Thompson on Dear White People. Ah. And actually, she didn't say that. Well, yeah, she did. What she said was very similar to Stokely Carmichael, which was if you have a situation where you're talking about can a certain person be racist? Mm -hmm. And a lot of what's gone on the past year is this back and forth between, oh, is this black comedian racist as this white comedian? When Chris Rock talks about white people, is that being racist? As when Bill Burr maybe talks about black people, can Dave Chabot be racist when he pantomimes an Asian person in his special from the last year? And what Tessa Thompson said is that it's connection to power, right? How much power does that really have over your life if I'm a racist, right? If you take someone who maybe society has placed in the bottom of the totem pole and they make a racist comment, that's going upward and that's going against gravity, the gravity of other races have institutionalized power that is greater, so it doesn't affect you, right? So, and honestly, when you look at different slurs for empowered groups, and usually historically the empowered group would be a European male, they're not that harmful, right? Like, think of it. A cracker is only meant to refer to the cracking of a whip. So who is the power in that dynamic? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not the black person in that situation. Right. right. Even within the insult. So if you want to say something like a negative stereotype about a, a white person, I remember when I was a kid, I went to an all white school and I was on a bus with an Indian kid and a white girl and the conversation skewed to stereotypes. Now, they looked at me like I was a little mixed boy. I am mixed. But mostly I said, you know, refer to me as black if you're going to use stereotypes. The stereotypes for the Indian kid were doctor lawyer, right? Be. The stereotype for the white girl was pretty, educated, model. And then when they looked at me for stereotypes, they said basketball. They I said, said the gang violence. We're slurs. We're talking about stereotypes. Continue. No, but, but, but the slurs and stereotypes operate in similar ways mm -hmm. because they're both talking about things that are not necessarily true or don't really fully reflect reality. Right. Like there are plenty of things that you could say about 
a white person that could that could potentially be stereotypical depending on who you ask right in terms of not being able to dance as a stereotype mm. don't see his maybe food. right don't season your food <laughs> mayonnaise things like that but when we get to stereotypes that are proliferated throughout comedy what we tend to see is a kind of a kind of harmfulness that only seems to go towards the minority and not necessarily towards, I think, the white artist. Or are you, white saying, are you saying that it's not harmful coming from a white comedian? When a white comedian is doing stereotypes, he's not harmful towards his own people? No, I'm saying when the black comedian or the Hispanic comedian maybe says a stereotype about a white person, usually their audience is all white. Like Dave Chappelle's audience is is a lot of white people. Right. Well, I mean, and, he lives in, in, in Ohio in, on the farm. So. Right. And he lives in an all-white environment. But I don't know if you... Did you watch the the interview between him and... um, Who do you have? the uh, John... Um, my next guest. Who does the, the My Next Guest on Netflix? Oh, Dave Letterman? Dave, that's John. Dave Letterman. Did you see that okay. interview with him and... No, I didn't. So Dave's town that he's from was like one of the... Like the park that they go for on July 4th was given by a freed slave like really yeah like he pays for that he this i don't he has a fund that gives money to widows in the town and all types of things so you know it's a predominantly white town but they're very much collected as a people that's interesting and you would figure he'd live in a collected community a community that respects each other Mm -hmm. and i think my hopeful outlook in comedy this year coming up is Similar to my outlook in how we treat each other at the gym or at the office, which is be compassionate, be mindful, but understand your own identity within the context of your situation. I think if you're a white comedian and you want to say a joke about black people or Asians or Hispanics, right, you could shape that joke in a way where really the the butt of the joke is you, right? Because that shifts the power dynamic mm-hmm. instead of the butt of the joke always being another culture that you don't know. And that goes for black comedians or Hispanic comedians too, right? The kind of self-deprecating humor that 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 is often you find people tend to have is a powerful tool to actually combat a lot of these uh, stereotypes. What I like about some comedians, and I hope to see more of this in the future, is they use their comedy to educate. They're not just taking the lowest common denominator joke. Oh, man, that's Dave, that's, right? that's Dave all the way. Right, exactly. And even someone like a Bill Burr, who who right. some people say is a controversial comedian. He's you know, if you really listen to him, he he's, 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 he's witty, but he's also subverting a lot of what white comedians do. Mm. He'll set up a joke in a way where you think the butt of the joke is going to be some critique on black or liberal culture, but actually it turns back on him and how much of an idiot he is just in his daily life, right? Not that I'm saying he's an idiot, but, you know, just the kind the of, of the he's joke. making himself yeah. a buffoon. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is interesting, which is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, art, art all in general, man, I, I want us to get to a point because I think now that we're so saturated with music comedy visual art just all just all types of art i think now that we just expect we we put things on a pedestal and it's like if it doesn't reach this for us then we're doing away with it and i'm not talking about 
actually listening and sitting down and digesting it and grading it. It's like off a, off a, a three to five second listen or, 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 or watch where if you can't process it, where things are usually processed. And when I say usually processed, I mean how we've been programmed to intake or digest these forms of art. Think about it. Now with music, everything is 808, big bassy sounds and kind of like a, a ABC pattern. Very, very basic, very, very simple. So once you start hearing that over, t- over time and that's all that's being pumped to you, you take that as normal. Anything outside that box now, you're not going to let live. Right. And then another thing is that I think that we need to stop putting the artists that we like in a box. And I think that's also like what we do with life is that we, we put attachments on things. And we say, this is how I know it. This is how I want it to stay because I'm comfortable with this here, right? So your favorite album from an artist, let's say Kid, Kid, Kid Cudi is one of my favorite artists. So let's say uh, Man on the Moon 2. Now, when he did Indie Cud, or first listen, I was like, eh, not too sure about it. I'm going back to listen to Man on the Moon 2 because I've already grown with those songs. I already knew it. So to have to learn something new from the same person because they've changed now I had to change. And right. a, lot of, a lot of people are not, don't want to do that. They're not accustomed to that. And they just want to stay the same. They want to receive the same steak and potatoes every time, no matter the day. And I, exactly. we don't, we don't change. We don't grow from that. We don't, we don't grow. We don't elevate. And um, that's what I hope to see differently coming in 21 and, and so forth that we just open our ears and open our eyes. Yeah, and this is a great segue to the next topic, which is more political, but looking at tribalism, right? The the separation of people and what you just said is perfect way to segregate to that because if we're constantly only eating meat and potatoes, we like it cooked the same way, seasoned the same way, then we're keeping our head down in the meal. Mm-hmm. So everything else that's going around us, we don't even care about. We just have tunnel vision. And if it's like that in music where you won't listen to, I send, I used to send my friends songs all the time and I should have known that they didn't care for the music when they wouldn't text me back. <laughs> but what I was trying to do is I was trying to say, Hey, look, I like an eclectic mix of music. I like music from the eighties, seventies, sixties, even the thirties. I've heard some good stuff from the thirties. And I want to share that with you because I think, you're like me, we're friends, you're an open-minded person. I think you'll like this, right? But some forms of music, you know, if you listen to music from the 70s, some songs go on for eight minutes, 10 minutes long. Oh, it's Stay beautiful. with heaven. It's beautiful. It's beautiful though. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a vibe. Like it's something you can get lost in, right? Like Yeah. It, you're meant to contemplate. You're meant to sit back and think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so that's much, a huge thing too, right? Is that we just want to feel we don't want to yes. think anymore. We, we just want to, want to be held. And and that and and this year I think proved it this past year where while book sales went up what about the length of these books? Are these books 400 pages? Mm-hmm. Are these books 600 pages or are they little romance novels that are 100 pages? Right. 200 pages, right? What about television? I was watching ESPN and they cut down their programming so much that basically now so much of it is just sports center. Mm-hmm. 
And SportsCenter is their flagship show, but they're running that three, four, five times a day. Same thing, and, same place. Yeah, and there's no – they used to have these great shows like High Noon where it was a debate. Bomani Jones was on that, and they would debate each other or talk about things. Now there's only one show, part of the interruption, that's like that. It's like this in, in, in politics too where we essentially are sticking to our sides. I was raised a Republican. I was raised a Democrat. All my friends are Republican. All my friends are Democrat. And we stay the hell away from each other, right? You and I are privileged to live in New York. So not only is there a diverse amount of people, but people are not focused on our differences all the time in New York. Sometimes what we're more focusing on is getting past this dude so I can get in the taxi or, oh, they better not mess up my reservation tonight, or mm-hmm. I got to get through a crowd of people on a train just to get to Long Island. It's a hustle and bustle environment. But in some places where people have less to do or where there's less going on, Fox News and MSNBC is all they have. And when we are now, I was watching a documentary last night on the 80s in television. It was on CNN. And they were talking about what news was like before corporations like uh, GE and Viacom bought the news stations, before that, before CNN and Ted Turner, these were little mom and pop setups. Walter Cronkite was, was the most trusted man in America. And he was able to be trusted because the news was simply reported for the most part. Mm-hmm. It was, it comes in, here's what happened. That's it. You don't really need my opinion on it. Everything's a narrative now. Everything is a narrative now because in the 80s, what happened was was the rise of the talk show. And people discovered, these executives discovered that they said, look, we could do honest news that people can trust. But you know what people really like? They want to see two people get into a fight. They want to see two people get into an argument. Right. So we're going to set both sides against each other. We're going to have shows like Crossfire. We have a conservative and a, and a liberal, and they're just going to go at it. We're going to have shows that sensationalize and increase your bias. I remember I was watching Fox News one night, and this guy Lawrence Jones was on on the show called The Five. And I'm watching him, a black guy on Fox News, and I'm watching him, and I'm saying, this guy's interesting. I mean, some of the things he's saying I agree with, and he seems like a sensible, rational guy. And then the very next series of shows from about 7 to 11 o'clock are dirty, stinking liberals are taking over the country and radical leftist socialist Biden. And it's all this finger pointing. And then I said, OK, you know, let me go to back to CNN just to get some sanity. And because I mostly identify with mm-hmm. some liberal ideas but I found myself watching the show, and even though he's saying things that I like, I, 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 I popped out. It's like, it's like somebody was playing nothing but Jay-Z, and then suddenly an Enya track comes on, or suddenly some classical music comes on. And I just woke up, and I popped out of it, and I said, my gosh, the same thing that, that they're saying on Fox News about liberals is almost the same thing they're saying on CNN about conservatives. Right. It is variation. And, and honestly, one side does 
have a greater history. Fox News has a greater history of being more biased and more sensational than CNN. But the point still is, is that it's pushing us to our sides. And now you see all these, mm-hmm. what's the stereotype now? The Karens, the Beckys. You see all these people are just angry and I and 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 looking for the wrong type of leadership. Yeah, I think you know. I think our biggest problem, man, is that we just pit, like we pit ourselves up against each other, you know, and we let people who want to make money off of us do it. You know, again, going back to the power thing, man, we we're giving these corporations too much power over us. Like, how long is it going to take for us to realize? Okay, you might be a different pigment than me, but we still piss the same. We still shit the same. I'm sure we like the same food and all those other things. But for whatever reason, we like to harp on the problem. The problem keeps the wheel going. Yeah. Nobody ever wants to actually figure out what the real solution is. Right. And I think we know, I think as a, as a people, we know what the solution is, but we just won't take, we just won't take that power. You see it, you see it too with, in music and you're a musician you see it with uh and not just in hip-hop you see it with taylor swift and Katy perry have a beef and what happens there's a little rumor in an article that says it seems like Katy perry and taylor swift have a beef but these are two of the biggest artists in the world and then it explodes on twitter it goes to instagram and snapchat and then people stand when people stand that means they become extreme fans and they pick a side and now you have millions of people Fighting each other uh, in com- in Twitter is, comments. Is that real though? Sections. Did, did Katy Perry and Taylor Swift actually have a little feud? I don't know. I don't. I know it's reported a lot, but I don't know if they actually don't like each other. I've never heard them actually speak about each other. And I guess now I'm kind of admitting that I do pay attention to Taylor Swift at some level. But um, I mean, how can you? I mean, I, I, you you can't miss it. You know what I'm saying? I don't listen to any of her music, and that's not by like me saying I don't like her. I just it just doesn't come across my thing, but no, a name so big, uh, right. entity so large, you can't miss it. Right. But to actually go back to to your statement and just kind of like, right, you can't miss that with Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. I never heard that before, and that's funny because with white artists, you never you don't hear that, right? It's only black artists that you hear beefing. Mm. Again, like right. they. Whoever, whatever corporations or whatever people around them, seems like there's always two artists, black artists being pitted against each other that somebody always has a downfall, right? Like, what was it? Quando Rondo and King Von. What happened? King Von died. Come on, Tupac and Biggie, right? Like, the cycle. And we're getting conspiracy theories. I mean, people are saying Little Dirk took out King Von yeah, and, and people are saying Drake yeah. took out. I mean, uh, listen, XXX. again, when, yeah. when you don't control your own life, when you don't control your own narrative, you're going to try to make a narrative for something else. Exactly. And that's the key word I was going to say to our audience is for me, for you, the listener, control your own narrative the best you can. That means if it's time to go to the gym and the gym makes you feel good, but it's hard, you're sore, you don't really want to go, get there. Get there and do the Mm -hmm. workout that you can and come back home and feel satisfied. Cook for yourself. Feel your own ability to 
provide for yourself, cook for other people, right? If, if it comes to the choice of going out with people who they don't always have your best interests, they gossip all the time, or staying in with family, staying in with that one good friend who may be a little mm-hmm. boring, but they have your back, stay with that one good friend. Control your narrative this year. I'm not. I, I'm into astrology a little bit because my sister really is. But right. the horoscope for me says you got to control your own narrative, no matter what your sign is. Because what happens is so often we get glued to the narratives of other people, particularly celebrities or politicians, people who are in the know, and we just invest mm-hmm. too hard, and then we take on all that energy. And we start to feel as though we're not as important anymore, right? What's really important? Oh, it's got to be Trump or it's got to be Biden. It's got to be Bernie Sanders. No, it's got to be Nikki Haley. These people don't know you. No, these people, <laughs> you don't know, know these you. people. Right? You don't know, you don't know the Kardashians. You don't know them. They don't know right. you. And you know what? Honestly, they might not even really care, Right. But what you got to do is you got to put it in perspective and in a box. And I don't want to be on a soapbox too much, but I think that in the next year, what we're going to see is hopefully more people waking up to the the illusion, right? That that media for a large part, except for New York Trend Media, of course, uh, but media for the large part is designing itself it's adjusting itself and it's treating you like an algorithm now. So when you go on Instagram and you like one thing, right. you're going to get five advertisements tailored just for you. So now when you go on CNN's app, what does it, what does it say? When I looked on it, it said, hey, would you like news tailored just for you? And you're part in an of echo me chamber. You was like, yeah, that'd be great own. just to get – yeah. But uh, another part of me, so I, I heard the voice of some of my old professors saying, yeah, no, <laughs> do not let that get happen. Challenged. Get you out of that box. When, you're, when your own perception not, and your own thoughts do not become right. – are not challenged, you don't grow. And I think – and again, like you know, what we were talking about earlier, that's what, that's what people are afraid of. They're afraid of change. They're afraid of sitting down and saying, oh – I just might be wrong. What I thought was right might be wrong. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to actually look in, in the mirror and, and say that, you know? So I, I think, but in 2020, man, we was able to sit down and just self-reflect. And I really hope, you know, people who was able to self-reflect in, in 2020 carry that into 21. And those who weren't able to reflect in 2020, if you're listening to this podcast, 2021, let it be your year to self-reflect. It's never too late. And, and just keep on keep on challenging yourself to grow. And, and don't be discouraged or angry because somebody might have a different opinion than you. It's okay. If, if you're knowledgeable on your opinion, then you should be able to combat. And if you're not taking what they're saying, you don't have to believe any of it, taking what they're saying, and then go go look it up. Go further your your knowledge on what they might have meant. And you listen, man. It's great. It's great to to come out of your shell and, and be a new person. Exactly. Take the next leap. Start a podcast. Write a book. Write a memoir. Write an autobiography. Write fiction. Do something that's going to cultivate your ability to 
communicate in some level, even if it's just with yourself. And so that's my resolution for the world coming up in this year. All right, so that will do it for us this time on the Justin A. Williams New York Trend Podcast with my co-host Tex Ritter. And we are so glad to have you, and we hope to have you back next time. Remember, this podcast can be found where all podcasts are found. And if there's a like button, like. If there's a subscribe, please do subscribe. And we will see you next time on the podcast. So stay trendy, my friends. Remember, we're better when we trend together. All right? So, yeah. Peace and love. Any last words, Tex? Peace and love. Peace and love. All right. Be beautiful, people. Yes. All right, so take care, and we will see you on the other side of things.